these days. Pray with me quickly before we begin. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you for the truths that we've not only said, but we've sung them to a melody that just adds a new dimension to our praise and our worship. Christ alone, cornerstone, dressed in his righteousness alone. I was just thinking about that as we sang it, Lord. Thank you that you've provided the only clothing and garment necessary to be acceptable in heaven, and that is not our righteousness, but yours, given to us by faith. Thank you. Lead us now as we look into your word and talk about leadership and, in particular, elders uh, in our church this morning. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We've been uh, kind of working away, meandering along, I will admit, on a series about how God grows his church. And uh, we we began uh, back at the end of August by noting that uh, it's God who makes the church grow, not us, not our talent or our gifts. We get to participate, but he works through us, and he causes the growth, quote unquote, from 1 Corinthians 3. And remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. And so we need to have that mentality and that understanding in all the parts that we play uh, in God's church. And then, uh, then we talked about prayer and calling on God and that God works through our prayers and our praying together uh, as a church in whatever form that takes, individually on your own versus in uh, groups. Last week, we had a prayer Sunday in the whole service, and we We prayed to God to grow and build his church and be at work in the world around us. It's so important, so vital. No prayer, no growth, no glory to God. And uh, and so we need to grow in prayer as a church. There was a little uh, blip in the the series there where I was off uh, unwell and uh, Daniel Dorman came in and very capably gave us a message out of Ephesians Uh, talking about foolishness and wisdom. And I thought, how timely and what a good word just for us as a church to keep wisdom as a priority and to avoid anything foolish. And I recommend his message online as well. Today, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the importance of leaders uh, in in the church. There are many kinds of leaders uh, uh, in, in the church, working some of them very visibly. I'm very visible here this morning, but there are lots of hidden leaders behind the scenes who are doing vital work, just as important, and we might not see them, but I want to recognize they're out there uh, being used by God to influence one another as brothers and sisters in the church here. And, uh, and there are all kinds of, of leaders in the church. We're going to, well, there are, let me, let me cite a few examples. There's leaders of our youth program, leaders of our Grace Kids, uh, leadership board taking care of practical, legal, policy, accountability issues uh, in our church. There are worship leaders and, and uh, women's leaders and all, all, all kinds of, of leaders. I want to talk this morning, though, about a particular kind of leadership in the church called uh, what the New Testament calls elders or spiritual leaders in the church, just to give a little overview of of what the role and function of the elder is and how important it is. So we'll be talking about that as we go along. As you read through the books and the letters in the New Testament, as time is progressing and the gospel is spreading out around the Mediterranean world, uh, its initial leadership was in the hands of apostles. 
There were 12 of them. Jesus trained them, uh, Peter, James, John, Matthew, etc., and they went out and spearheaded uh, uh, the gospel as it plunged out into the world around them, and uh, often they paid quite a price for being on the front lines. But as the apostles preached the gospel, churches were formed, people became Christians, gathered together in churches, and the apostles would would uh, hand off leadership, spiritual leadership in churches to elders. And, uh, and they didn't keep on appointing new and new layers of apostles, but they gave it over to elders uh, and uh, deacons as well in practical areas, kind of like our leadership board. And, uh, and so let me just show you three just quick passages that refer to elders uh, in the book of Acts as the church was forming and taking shape. The first one comes out of Acts 11 and verse 30. And I think it will be coming up behind here. This is the very first mention of the word elders in the New Testament church. Simple verse. Just mentions them and then it moves on. It says, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Those were the elders in the Jerusalem church. And a gift was being sent from another church. And it was being sent to the elders to distribute Uh, to folks who were needy in the Jerusalem church. But we just see there, my only point is, there they are, elders. Uh, And we have to learn a lot more about them, but the gift was sent to them at that time. The next verse to look at is out of Acts 14, verse 21 to 23, I think. This is a little later in time. Paul and Barnabas are traveling. They have planted churches. Then they circle back around and revisit those churches after a year or two of their existence. And it says they appointed elders in those churches. Let's just read that together. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So there we have the apostles. This is the beginning of the appointment of elders to lead churches in those days. The last passage comes out of Acts chapter 20, verse 17 or 18, 19, I think. And uh, this is Paul revisiting, again, another church. He's coming back to the Ephesian church, from which we get the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament. And Paul calls the elders to him. He's just passing by. He doesn't even go into the city, but he wants to talk to the elders. Just notice this. From Miletus, which was about a 20-mile distance, Paul's in Miletus, and he's calling the elders from Ephesus to come to see him. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, Won't even read the rest of the verse. Great passage, study it, but uh, don't need to read it this morning. Miletus was about 20 miles from Ephesus. Paul sent word for them to come to meet him because he was on his way somewhere else. He had limited time. They would have walked 20 miles, approximately, to have a visit with Paul, and they probably spent many, several hours together just just talking and encouraging them. And uh, so there again, we see elders in the church. You'll notice in these passages, and there are lots of other passages, a really important passage is 1 Timothy 3, where qualifications of elders are listed, and a similar passage in Titus 1, more qualifications are listed, lots of them overlap. Uh, You will notice two things in all of these passages about elders. The first thing is that it's always elders with an S on the end, plural, 
uh, always more than one elder. They seem to function in, a, in teams. How large were those teams? We don't know, never told. Could be two or three, could be eight or 10. Uh, but uh, elders is always in a plurality, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And uh, the second thing is uh, when we study the characteristics and qualifications of elders, it's very, very heavily weighted about their character. Character, behavior, attitudes, the humility that's in their life. Uh, elders are never appointed because of gift or talent or personality or longevity. Old George over there, he's been in the church for 40 years. We better make him an elder. No, not necessarily. It's character, it's faith, it's relationship with God, it's spiritual maturity, which are the qualifications of elders for a very good reason, which we'll investigate a little more as well. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter was one of those 12 apostles, and he traveled, preached the gospel, planted churches, and he's, he's written his letter in 1 Peter to uh, several of those churches, and they would all have circulated his letter and read it. Uh, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, in the first five verses, which we'll just go through a bit this morning, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, I'm just going to read through it slowly, stopping to notice and pick out certain items uh, that teach us things about elders. So Peter, uh, first of all, begins in verse 1 when he says, to the elders among you. So these words are addressed to the elders of the various churches, not necessarily to the general people, although everyone should read it and learn from it. So he says, to the elders among you. Notice elders, plural. Again, the plurality of elders. The advantages of having several elders working as a team to lead a church spiritually are many. Uh, when you have just one person who's, who's leading everything, uh, that one person, uh, everything sort of sits on the shoulders of that one person. If they get discouraged, who will encourage them? If they go astray, who will correct that person? If they, if they, need, if they need help in some way, uh, where will that come from? But when you have a team, you have sources of encouragement to one another. You have corrective people who will speak up and say, whoa, I think we're getting off track here. We have, we have just a, a richer source of guidance and encouragement and help on a team of, of uh, qualified people. Uh, also, the church, if there is just one leader doing all the speaking, the church might grow a little bit weary of that one voice, and they need to hear several types of voices and, and gifts and points of view, uh, and that can come from a team of elders. And, uh, and so just some of those reasons are why, why, we need, uh, why we need more of a team approach in our spiritual leadership. So Peter addresses here, this fact of that church has had pluralities of elders. Then he says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So here's Peter. He was an apostle, as I said. He walked, talked, and camped out with Jesus for three years. He knew him intimately. He saw the miracles, heard the teachings firsthand. He was an upfront, close-up, 
eyewitness of everything about Jesus, and now he was an apostle. And I could imagine if Peter walked in the door of our church, we would, we would all just stand in awe, like, it's Peter. Do you know who that guy is? And, you know, we'd have him on a pedestal very quickly, wrongly, but quickly. It's human nature. So what's Peter call himself here? I, Peter, your apostle, who you should listen to carefully. No, I, Peter, your fellow elder. He considered himself to be one of them, one of the team. Uh, not elevating himself, not demanding special uh, uh, obeisance or anything else like that. And, and I, really, I really like that about Peter's humility as he joined the team of leaders in the church. Uh, in the future, not too far away, I hope, but somewhere out there, we'll be hiring another lead pastor. Uh, but our understanding as we sort of re-engage the lead pastor uh, situation in our church is that our lead pastor will be coming in with a clear understanding that he will be a fellow elder. He will be joining the team of elders, having a special role, that is true, and uh, being paid for the services that he offers and the service that he gives in the church. Some elders are paid, some are not, probably most not. They have their regular jobs and they contribute their service uh, in the church as other ministry leaders do in the church. And, uh, but uh, some elders also can be paid part-time or full-time. The lead pastor would be paid full-time, but would come with the understanding that you're joining a team of elders and uh, you, you're, you will value that team and build that team and encourage that team and be accountable to that team uh, just as Peter was here, the fellow elder to his team. And we look forward to that, that arrangement, which we haven't had clearly in place in the past, and we will uh, going forward in the future. Keep reading here, verse 2. I am hurrying this morning, I realize that, but uh, we'll, we'll just, you hurry with me. <laughs> verse 2. Peter says to the elders, Be shepherds of God's flock, that is, under your care, watching over them. Let's stop there. There's a lot in these words. These detail some of the functions and the roles and the responsibilities as elders. Elders are to be shepherds. We know what shepherds do. They lead the sheep. They care for them. They protect them. Uh, they, uh, they, 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 and, then, and then he says here, uh, shepherds of what? Of God's flock. Notice he doesn't say, be shepherds of your flock. Be shepherds of God's flock, God's church. Always the mentality that we must have. I have been assigned a task to care for and lead God's people. These are not my people to be used for my own ends. So be shepherds of God's flock. Notice this flock is, quote, under your care. Sobering words to care spiritually and in every possible way for the sheep, for the church, for the flock of God. And then he says, watching over them. Some translations will say God's flock uh, over whom God has made you overseers. The Greek word there is translated overseers in some cases, or it's translated you're watching over the flock. This has to do just with, well, it's right in the word, watching, observing, noticing, 
This happens through prayer. It happens through knowing your flock. It happens through talking with them, walking with them, being amongst them, not living in some ivory tower somewhere and delivering sermons uh, that are meant to just slay people uh, every Sunday, but rather you're amongst the people. You're watching over them. So we have two roles here. We have shepherd and we have overseer, and their combined job is to care for the flock. The overseers watch over it. They see things. Elders are to be alert and to be watching, and a plurality of elders, different people see different things. And when they get together to pray, they can say, I'm noticing this, I'm hearing this, I'm observing this. Maybe the people are discouraged. Maybe they're struggling in faith. Maybe they're uh, you know, going astray in some way. Maybe they're doing fantastic in some ways, but elders would talk about it. Overseers see things, but they haven't yet done anything. Shepherds do things. And <clears throat> so they are both shepherds and overseers. They see and observe, and then so the, the, the overseer might see the sheep in some way are, are hungry spiritually or hungry for the word or something. The shepherds will get on it and get it done. Uh, they will see the sheep are, are, are frightened. Perhaps the economy, the world situation, stuff going on. Our people are shaking in their boots. The shepherds will care for the flock. They'll get the job done. They'll teach and uh, draw alongside people to help them. This is all part of watching over them. Next phrase. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. This is not a, this is not a, a task or a job that someone talks you into. There are some pastors who are pastors because their, their father pastor wanted them to be a pastor. You know, I want my son to follow in my foot, or the son felt obligated, or everybody put that expectation on them. And it wasn't really from a willing heart that was called by God. It was more like, I guess I got to do this. And uh, Paul, Peter says, no, 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 no. It has to be a willing heart and a sense of God's calling to this role. <clears throat> in the days ahead, we will be talking to individuals in our church and uh, asking them to think about and pray about becoming an elder. But I want to be so careful to, to say, you need to talk to God and listen to God and let him call you, not let me or anybody else twist your arm or talk you into something. Not something that you feel obligated to do, but rather something that very clearly you sense God is calling me to do. You might not feel up to it. You might not feel like, how could I do this? But I'm going to trust God to help me do what I think he's calling me to do. And so that's what's going on there in those, in those verses. Moving on a little further, as God wants you to be, he said, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So you're not in it for the money. You're, you're, not, you're, you're not manipulating people. <clears throat> you're not using your spiritual position in some way. Just think, I'll be frank here, just think of some of the situations in North America where spiritual leaders, Christian leaders, TV evangelists, whatever, not all of them, but all too frequently, we see lavish lifestyles uh, that have come from somehow talking people into giving them a lot of money. Uh, and right here, Peter says it's not about money at all. Some elders will be paid. They'll be paid reasonably and rightly. But uh, you don't pay them you know, $500,000 a year or you'll have people becoming elders for the money. We, we want people to become the elders because God has called them to be so. 
Uh, you don't underpay them, or you'll have people who say, I would love to be an elder, but I can't live on $30,000 a year. So, you know, somewhere in there, our, our board takes care of those decisions, and they do a good job of that, thankfully. But uh, not for dishonest gain, uh, but eager to serve. There's just that eagerness, that willing heart. Yes, I, I, I would love to serve God in this way, and I feel called to do so in the church. <clears throat> Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you. It's not over the flock. It's among the flock. Elders live and walk and move and breathe uh, amongst the people of God. Uh, they don't lord it over. Lord it over means you, you're just bossy, you're domineering, you're telling people what to do, you're using them. You, you have an agenda in mind and you're going to get everybody functioning properly here so that perhaps you're seeking to build your own brand. Perhaps you're seeking your own glory. Perhaps there's some psychological, spiritual need in you that needs to be met and you're going to use people to do it all in the name of Jesus. That would be wrong. Not lording it over. Why does Peter say this? Because it's a human tendency to do this, that's why. And he's addressing reality. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. Look at that phrase, those entrusted to you. Some translations say those allotted to your charge. It's a serious responsibility. Who has entrusted those to an elder? The Lord, the chief shepherd of the church. And then he says, but not lording it over, but being examples to the flock. Lording it over is leading by force. What God says here through Peter is you lead by example. You are, you're not behind the sheep with a bullwhip. You are among the sheep or even out in front of the sheep saying, let's go, folks. Let's go. Follow me. In my imperfection, follow me. <laughs> you know, being examples to the flock. How important is that? That's why... Character is so important. Your faith, your humility, your hospitality, all these words are mentioned in the qualifications of elders. Your, your love, your, you're not addicted to things. Your, your, your family life is, is not perfect, but it's good, it's solid, it's stable. Those are important things to be examples in for your church so that people can look at your life and say, well, that gives me a little better idea of how to do it, how to live, how to follow Jesus. Peter often said to Sorry, Paul often said to the churches, follow my example. He wasn't afraid to say that. He wasn't a perfect example. You know, there's, there's an aspect of, 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 of an elder's example that people can follow, and that is how to recover from doing stupid things, <laughs> how, to, how to recover from sin. An elder will sin, of course. We all do, but, but you can be an example of how to handle those moments in your life of humility rather than denial. No, humility. Yes, it happened. I'm sorry. I'm making restitution. I'm apologizing. You know, you can be an example there. There's one area where Jesus could not be an example to us in how to recover from sin. He never sinned, but elders do. But we can be examples there too. Examples are so important. Modeling things for people in the Christian life. Just as parents should be examples to their children in, in behavior and choices, etc. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, Peter's looking ahead here to when Jesus comes back. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Wow. I'm not going to talk about that. I want to talk about the chief shepherd. In John 10, 
Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews referred to Jesus as the great shepherd. And here Peter calls him the chief shepherd. Good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. What a shepherd we have, described in various ways. And, uh, and, and so what Peter is saying here is that the ultimate shepherd over you shepherds and over all the church, the ultimate shepherd is the Lord Jesus himself. Shepherd means pastor. Pastor means shepherd. Jesus is our ultimate pastor. Uh, he's the head of the church, as we know, the Savior and the Lord of the church. And, uh, but he's, in this case, referred to as the chief shepherd. This means two things. It means, number one, if Jesus is the chief shepherd and the source of all of our direction and our wisdom and our life and, and everything, every kind of fruit in us, then elders should pray a lot together. They should gather before the chief shepherd and seek his will, seek his strength, seek his guidance, seek from him the ability to do their work. <clears throat> they should also have a rich and good, not perfect, but consistent, steady, and alive relationship with their shepherd in order to be able to be a model of that in the church. Lastly, about humility. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. I could see the, uh, maybe this is older elders, younger elders. I'm not quite sure here, but I could see the, maybe the older elders looking at each other and winking and going, ha, 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 he just told the young guys to submit to us. This is excellent, but keep reading. Then Peter says, all of you, I repeat, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and get these 10 words, these 10 words will make or break any group of elders. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So important that humility mark the workings and the communication and the attitudes uh, within a collection of elders in any church. So these were Peter's words to the, uh, to the elders that he was writing to. <clears throat> Let's talk about an appointment process for elders. I need to go through a couple of more things with you here. At the moment, for reasons that, uh, 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 that God ordained, I'm the only elder in the church at the moment. Um, I wish I had a team around me. Uh, two or three years ago, we had three, but uh, I'm at one now. And, uh, and I'm getting lonely <laughs> and, and also getting unbiblical. We need a team of elders, and uh, that's why we're talking about this this morning. This is part of God growing his church, his growing leaders in the church. Because I'm the only elder and found myself to be so within the last few months, we have created an elder advisory team. Uh, the, elder, the, the EA team, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I chose uh, five men and five women. Uh, I, I, I invited ten, five and five. I thought maybe five or six will say yes. They all said yes. And uh, so anyway, we have a great elder advisory team that works with me to, uh, to keep me accountable, to encourage me when I need encouragement, to correct me when I need correction, to advise me with wisdom, when I need advice at this point in my leadership in the church. Uh, <clears throat> I can tell you who's on the team, but my time is so short, I'm just going to keep running. Great people, five men, five women from our church. Uh, 
they provide those things for me, which I believe I really need, and uh, we've asked them to serve in this way uh, for a year, which, which time we will evaluate uh, to see where we're at. And we might have a, more of an elder team in place at that point, which would be good. Very briefly, let me describe to you the process we would like to follow. And this has been worked out with the leadership board and the elder advisory team uh, to uh, grow new elders in our church. Number one, we need to inform the congregation of our need for new elders, which I'm doing as clearly as I can right now. Then we need to teach about elders, as I'm doing right now, uh, just to review and refresh ourselves on the biblical teachings. Thirdly, <coughs> we will invite the congregation to submit suggestions of people who could be elders as they see their, their friends and people that you rub shoulders with in the congregation from day to day. We invite you to do that through the month of October. So starting right now, you can submit suggestions to the leadership board, uh, an independent third party. They will collect the names of your suggestions and, uh, and give them to the elder advisory team at the end of the month. And uh, hopefully we have a number of names suggested uh, who you think could be, possibly be, uh, elders in the church. Then we will take those names as an elder advisory team and just pray over them and listen to God. And if we feel, which in most cases I suspect we will, if we feel like, yeah, we need to talk to that person, that's a great suggestion, let's talk to that person, we will, and get them praying over the possibility that they might become an elder. We will ask them to do the biggest thing would be to listen to God uh, as to how he might um, guide you and, and, and lead you in this. If we see a name suggested three times or more, in other words, several people have suggested this name, we will take that uh, more seriously, discuss that, and, and talk to that person uh, to ask them to pray and examine their life and pray about whether this would be a step for them if they might feel God calling them. Uh, and then if that person agrees to proceed even further, we will all pray and fast together as an elder advisory team. We would, and if we're still getting green lights from God, we'll, 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 we'll bring that person's name before the congregation on a future date and ask for the congregation to affirm that person with a certain percentage of vote. I think we usually work with 70%, but don't quote me on that. And, uh, and then we will lay hands on and pray over and uh, uh, appoint uh, another elder or hopefully as we go along, several new elders to a team here at Grace. So that is, our, that is our process. What size of an elder team would we like? We'll take what God gives us, but I, I have a dream of six. Uh, so we'll, we'll, see where, we'll see where things end up there. One final issue. Uh, <clears throat> are we asking the congregation for both men's and women's names to be suggested to us for consideration for the elder role? Our answer is as follows. To this point in our history, Grace Community Church has been of the understanding and the belief that Scripture teaches that the role of elders has been assigned by God to men only in the church. That has been the case for years. We have tons of women leaders and participating, but this particular area has been set aside for men. But as of right now, uh, the elder advisory team, including myself, have agreed that we will launch a process to review that position. We need to look at it from top to bottom, uh, examine the scripture, talk amongst ourselves, pray, and see if our current understanding is the right understanding. So we're going to review 
that process. <laughs> At the end of the process, our position might change. It might not change. No promises either way. Our commitment is simply to examine and review our position and do our best to listen to God freshly on this topic. Uh, we anticipate the process to take six months. It's, it's, a, it's a complex issue. It's, uh, it can be fraught with opportunities to disagree. Uh, and uh, <coughs> oh, how I love conflict, believe me. I don't. Uh, but uh, we, this is something we feel right to do and right to do at this point in our history. Uh, it's, as I said, it's a complex issue. Good churches have taken one position. Equally good churches have taken another position. They've looked at scripture and come up with different understandings. Our mandate is to listen to God and to the best of our ability, <coughs> conclude what we think God is saying to us at Grace Community Church, and then to decide and give some direction as to how to implement what we think he's saying to us and how, how it would look, what shape it would take going forward in Grace Community Church. So I hope that's clear for us. We want to be committed to being a balanced team. Uh, an equal number of men and women would be on the team and there would be a balance of initial viewpoints. In other words, a few might be of one position, a few might be of another position, a few might be undecided, but it needs to be, be balanced in the, in the number of, of uh, of people holding those viewpoints at the beginning. Uh, <clears throat> how will we go about our task? Uh, an equal number of men and women 